0: Let's pray together. Ask the Lord to lead us as we open this text. Lord God Almighty, we come to you because we know that you speak to us through your word. So we pray now for ears to hear. We pray for our minds to be captivated by your spirit, for our hearts to adore you, and for our deeds to be in line with your will. Lead us into the truth through this word, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've been going through a side series which came out of our study in the book of Acts, which dealt with how the law of Moses in Genesis to Deuteronomy continues to relate to our lives today. That we've seen how it is not the authoritative rule, it's not the official law that governs our lives anymore in light of Christ and his fulfillment of it. We have a law of Christ in the New Testament, the teachings of Christ that is now the official governing rule. But there is a way in which the law that we see in the Old Testament continues to relate and direct our lives so one of the ways we've been looking at is this moral law, these Ten Commandments we see here. We, we see in the New Testament that Christ's teachings affirm these commandments in some form or another. And so we have to go through, and we are, commandment by commandment, looking at them, discussing how they're taught in the New Testament, and how they then direct our lives. How they lead us into mature and fruitful discipleship. And so already we've looked at the first Two commandments, and we've seen the reality that we shall have no other gods besides the God, Holy Trinity, that is revealed in Christ. And we've talked about last week about how we shall not engage in the act of idolatry or running and chasing after other gods. And we've talked about all that this means. We've talked about the struggle that we have and how we must theologically and practically go about seeking to keep this commandment through the power of the Spirit. And so this week it would be fitting just to carry on into the third commandment about not taking the Lord's name in vain. But we're going to wait for next week to accomplish that because we're actually going to spend another message focusing on the second commandment. For there's another issue which often is addressed when dealing with this particular text Which some of you this morning, if you're honest, don't even care about. Don't even know about. Or are interested in. And that is, there has been a debate in the history of the church. And if you want to read church history this afternoon, that would be a great read on this fine day under the tree. Lots to read. But one of the issues is, this commandment forbids the human creation of the images of deity. You shall not make an image of deity. So there are those in the church that say, therefore, this commandment not only forbids the creation of images of other deities, but also forbids us from making images of God himself, our own God. So therefore, pictures of Christ that have been created by humans are a violation of this command, they would say. Pictures of Christ, I don't know, say in a stained glass window. Or pictures of Christ you may have in your home. Or the children's books that have pictures of Christ, these illustrated Bibles, There are those... In the church history, that have said that's a human creation of a divine, which this commandment says don't do. In the Westminster Catechism, the shorter edition, which was Reformed Theological Accounts in, in Church History, it says in question 96 in the document, What is God's will for us in the Second Commandment? The answer says that we in no way make any image of God nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. So the question that we're going to look at this morning is, is that view right? You can go into some churches. There's no images whatsoever because of this commandment. So it was this Westminster Catechism, which is to be appreciated. Church tradition is to be appreciated. We're going to look at it next week. Again, with the Lord's name in the vain commandment. We have to remember that Scripture always trumps church tradition. That it's important. But our question this morning is, what do the Scriptures say? And so it's a very important question for us to ask because we need to know, are the pictures of Christ that we have around us, are the books that we're reading to our grandchildren with pictures of Christ and then is it biblical? Or in some way have we drifted from God's word? Very important issue. And so we're going to examine it this morning. And I have to say right away that there may be some people here this morning that may just disagree. Okay. Ultimately, you have to go to the Scriptures and examine it for yourself. See what the Scriptures say. Get into it. And so we're going to start, first of all, by just looking at this scriptural study, by looking at the context of the Second Commandment itself. First of all, looking at the context of worship. What's the heart of this commandment? What's this commandment ultimately dealing with? Well, we saw last week that it's dealing with the issue of idolatry. The first commandment says "Ye shall have no other gods besides me. The second commandment is the claim on his people even more by saying you shall not have any idols. We said last week that when it came to idolatry in the ancient days, the way the pagan cults practiced idolatry was they would create out of their own wisdom and understanding images that they then said were gods. And they then revered and bowed down to these images, statues. And so, the context that we know 100% that this commandment is forbidding is the reality of us creating an image of anything, including God Himself, and saying it's to be revered and worshiped. They were not to create images of God and to revere them and to bow down to them. And you say, that's foolish. Okay, Exodus 32, the golden calf. Israel makes a golden calf, and what do they say? This is our God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Here's an image of him. Let's bow down and, and revere him. you say okay that's the Old Testament pastor clearly there's no practice of revering and worshiping images of Christ or God today let me tell you a story about one of my strangest encounters ever had at Tyndale our professor said in our worship and liturgy class so we want you to go to a church tradition a service that is different than the one you grew up in. And so my friends and I thought, well, I think Greek Orthodox might be different. So we went to a Greek Orthodox service in Toronto and fascinating, it was all in Greek. Nothing was English. And even worse yet, we realized that the Greek that was being spoke, spoken was not the Greek we were learning at school. Because we were learning the biblical Koine Greek and it was not the same as the Greek being used today. So that was one thing that was obviously something different. But there was another thing that was very striking that I remember, that I'll always remember. There are pictures of Christ as you walked in that have been created. And before anybody walked into the service, They would go over and begin to kiss these pictures. They would go over and begin to talk to these pictures. Now, I didn't do that. I was told to, to which case I said, not happening. But what's going on there? What's, What's part of that tradition? Well, they have now taken images that have been created... And they're beginning to do the very thing this commandment forbids. They're, they're treating that as if it's Christ himself. They're kissing that picture. Not only is it horrible in terms of germs. If you didn't come with a cold, you're going home with one. But they're revering it. They're treating it as if it's Christ himself. And you say, well, that's just maybe that tradition. But I know people that would have pictures of Jesus in their living room. And they have to be more holy in their living room because Jesus is watching. Because the picture's there. There's one image. The God says you're to look at. And say this is God. This is to be revered. And this is to be worshipped. Christ. Christ who is the visible image. Of the invisible God. He is the one. That churches. All traditions. Should be looking at. And saying I'm going to run to you. I'm going to. Embrace you and say, You are God. My affection goes to you. My reverence goes to you. I worship you. Not a picture on the wall. So, the context of worship, maybe you think that it does not have to be addressed the worship of images, but it exists in the church. It exists in church history. It's practiced today in many traditions. And that's perhaps a long introduction to the reality of it's art, okay? But it's important for us to look at. So not to worship images of God, revere them. The question is, should we have images of Christ or anything about him at all? You may say, well, I'm not going to go kiss the picture, Pastor. Come on. I'm not foolish like them. I just want a picture of Jesus in my living room. Is that Okay. Well, now we have to look at the context of art when it comes to this commandment. Shall not make an image of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. So if it means you can't have pictures of Christ in terms of art and not reverence or worship, it also means you can't have pictures of anything on the earth or under the earth, meaning that you can't have pictures of anything. Because it's not just pictures in heaven that are being talked about, it's pictures also on earth. So that, if we take it in the context of art, would mean that the pictures of your grandchildren, the pictures of your leaf player, which you shouldn't have that picture anyway. The picture of your wedding, the drawing that your kid made in grade 3 that you kept, all those things would be violations of the commandment if the commandment was talking about art. In fact, the, the beautiful art that's even in God's temple and tabernacle in the Old Testament would then be a violation of that commandment if it was speaking about art. And so based on prayer and study of this text, I cannot preach and 100% support what many in the Westminster Catechism say. I can't get up here. I can say absolutely the reverence of images of Christ is wrong, but I cannot preach that the art is wrong, and there's no other evidence in the New Testament which says that art is wrong. So I can't go over and say, Elgin Street, we have violated some major commandment by having that Jesus on our stained glass window, which at this point, the property committee is now breathing a sigh of relief. But the question then that arises out of that, that Paul asks in 1 Corinthians, Just because something is permissible doesn't make it beneficial for us. So, just because the logic of this commandment itself suggests that art would be okay, and the New Testament not saying anything against it either, is it wise for us? Is it beneficial? Now, John Piper, his Reformed pastor and theologian, who is one who does not agree with the Westminster Catechism, says that pictures of Christ can be beneficial for us. They can be helpful. For instance, if we look even at that picture, which maybe you can't see, but there's a picture of Christ holding a lamb. That picture can remind us of who Christ is. Can remind us that He is the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. As we teach our kids who cannot read yet, the images help them learn the story of the gospel at a young age, even though they can't read the written text yet. So there are ways which, of course, it is beneficial. And I think we've all benefited, perhaps, from them at some time or another. But just because there are ways in which they are beneficial, we also have to recognize that there are ways in which they are not beneficial. Ways in which there are serious concerns about the use of images even though it's permissible. What's the first concern? First of all, there's no way a human-created picture of Christ can captivate who Christ is. Isaiah 40, verse 18. The Lord says, To what image will you compare me? Can a picture created by a human capture the wonder and majesty of Christ? They can capture his humanity, but can they capture his divinity and the divine glory that he also has? Absolutely not. And so it's for this reason many people say... No. (coughs) Furthermore, as John Piper rightfully notes, and I appreciated this in his writings, there are ways in which, yes, the images can remind us of truths about Christ, but there are also images that don't point us to the Christ of the Scriptures. (coughs) For instance, and this is just a reality that we have to acknowledge, a lot of the paintings of Christ What ethnicity are they? He's white. He's white. Even though our savior of the world is Jewish. You think back in the days of Jesus. There was a white guy walking around? Absolutely not. No. And so what does that do? Not only does it not point people to the scriptures, but historical context. Even look like at the southern states over the past few years. A few decades even. White supremacy. Issue with that. Trying to deal with that. And then you go there and have a picture of our Lord as white. Okay. Even he's white. It creates challenges and hurdles for people. So John Piper in his provocative statement says, if you're going to make a white Jesus, you better make a Chinese Jesus. You better make a Jesus from all nations because he is the savior of the world if you're going to represent him properly by being the savior of the world. But realistically, the most accurate one would be him being Jewish. But still then, not even capturing his full divinity Furthermore, there are pictures that just don't even present Scripture properly. anybody ever seen Jesus knocking on the door picture? And you've heard it say, Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, let him in. Which comes from Revelation 3. Except in that, who's Jesus knocking on the door of? The world? No, the church. So there are paintings that aren't even based upon Scripture that have drifted in ways that it's not accurate. Furthermore, I remember being at Tyndale, and Tyndale had just bought an old Catholic high school. It was one of the oldest nunneries, actually, in um, Canada. And we walked into the chapel, and it was very nice. But there were pictures of Jesus all around that I'm telling you, It looked like Jesus had gone to the gym every day. He was so muscular. He was so strong. Not as if he needed someone to carry his cross because he was weak and beaten and broken. So it's not pointing back to the suffering of Christ, not pointing back to who he really was or ways in which it drips. Furthermore, there's people with pictures of Jesus on the cross. Even though he's risen, the tomb is empty, forevermore alive. These are just a few examples, but I hope we're understanding that there are some serious issues with images in terms of actually helping us be reminded about Christ, because they actually don't bring us back to the Christ of the Scriptures. So then, what do we do? They're beneficial, yes, but there's also serious concern with them remember one of my own failings with the images of Christ happened in one of my presentations in seminary where I had taken a picture of Jesus and put it on a PowerPoint presentation and I had made my presentation and 25 minutes later my professor asked me in front of the entire class Eric, that is a fascinating presentation but I wonder why you had a picture of the Mormon Jesus up on your PowerPoint that moment I was like Google! Are you serious? Lead us all different directions. So, then how do we handle this tension? Beneficial for our grandchildren to learn, to remind us about Christ, but at the same time, can take us miles away from the Christ of the Scriptures. Well, we have to be aware of the fact that the images of Christ should never be the source of ultimate revelation or teaching. It should never be used for ultimate teaching or revelation. We don't learn about who Christ is simply through pictures. We don't just grow in discipleship by looking at pictures. Now I know friends that say, well in my devotional time I just get out a picture and look at it and learn. No, we must be reminded of the fact that the scriptures call us to discover Christ and see Christ in another image which we are to fix our eyes and be faithful to above any human-created image that we can make. What is the image that we're to fix our eyes upon? The image of God revealed in Christ in the Scriptures. If you want to see who God is, if you want, you want to be reminded who God is, before you hang up art on your wall, at the house. Before anything, we're called to go to the scriptures. Because there we see a picture of Christ that is not hindered. Or that leaves anything out. Or that takes us down a different direction that many pictures can. But we see Christ in his fullness in the way that God wants us to know. Everything that we need to know about Christ that God wants us to know... Is in the Word of God. Therefore, go there and see Christ. I think it's sad and ironic. There are sometimes believers who are more concerned about having that picture of Jesus up on the wall than they are about getting into the Word of God. Having Christian art more than they are in going to the scriptures where we see him as he is. See, we are teaching our children, even as they're downstairs right now, with images, not to keep them there, but to help them learn as they learn to read, to get to what? The written word of God that is the authoritative, 100% spirit-inspired revelation of Christ where we read and we see God exactly as he is. So there's a purpose to it. But the goal is to get them to the word where we see Christ. You know, I've seen comic Bibles for teenagers who can read and part of me is going no can be beneficial yes but it's not to replace the written word. so in your devotional times church we don't go and we don't say okay here's a picture of Jesus Let me meditate upon this picture. And now let me pray. Now what what is to guide our prayer? What's part of the conversation? God speaking to us, which is the word of God. Where are you getting your image of Christ from? How can you describe Christ in his ways, his beauty, his power? You know, Jesus, when he said, you shall not live on bread alone, but everywhere that comes to the mouth of God, we need it because we need it to see who he is. And So I challenge all of you, myself, if we want to see God, if we want to behold His beauty, if we want to see His majesty, His power and His glory and His wonder. Let's not run off to pictures that we've created that simply can have some purpose, but make sure that we are in the Scriptures. You know, in the newsletter, for instance, there's a, a reading plan. That's not saying you have to use that plan, but it's just a strong suggestion month after month that you want to grow, you want to see God, you want to behold His majesty, you want to see His beauty, you got to be in the Word. Not legalistically. We don't do it to earn God's favor and keep Him loving us. But we need it to learn about who He is and to grow. Some of us, have mentioned when we get into the word of god we don't come to bible study and sit around a picture we open up this book which physically is like any other book that we've read in our lives we open it and we study it and we're changed we see truth we see power we see god It could be that many of us have not seen the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of Christ in the way that he wants us to because we have not gone to the source where he is revealed. It's to be challenged. We must see Christ in the word of God. But here's the next thing. God has made his image perfectly seen for us to understand and grasp in Christ, revealed in the scriptures to testify him to. But there are another particular avenue and tool that God wants to use to reveal his image to the world. What does the New Testament say? Uh, you, Church, I would like you to create as many pictures of me as you can and hang them up on the walls. And hang them up in your houses so when everyone goes around they can see, hi, Jesus. No, instead the gospel promises, church
1: I'm going to
0: conform you to the image of Christ so that when you go out into the world my behavior my morality my values, who I am are then revealed to the world. The art that reveals God that God wants to use is primarily in first his scriptures where we learn it, but then the church where we go out and reveal who God is. Here's the thing, church. More than any picture we can hang on the wall, or any picture we have in this church, what's more important is us showing Christ through our lives. You don't have to have a picture of Jesus on your wall to be a Christian, for it to be a Christian home. You don't have, you shouldn't have to have a picture of Jesus on your wall for people to know you're Christian. If that's the thing that says you're a Christian, then it's time for us to look in the mirror and say, what's going on? Because the reality is the Holy Spirit, when we're yielding to the Spirit of Christ, is going to make us stand out. Why does Peter say, be prepared to give an account of the hope you have? Why does he say that? Because of the painting on your wall? No. Because you're going to live differently. You're going to shine you're going to be an example of the light in the midst of this darkness and depraved world. You're going to stand out because Christ is going to make you and conform you to his image. That's how we reveal Christ, the primary way. We, we see him in his word and we reveal him in our lives. So when it comes to art, there's nothing against it. Has benefits, also has serious dangers. But if we're gonna be people who want to see the image of Christ in the way that it's supposed to be, a hundred percent we must find it in the scriptures. And if we're gonna show the world Christ, we don't just put Jesus in our window or hang it in our office. We reveal it by being conformed to the image of Christ as the Holy Spirit works in us. I pray that when people see you, and people see me, they see Christ more and more. So don't go home and take down all your art, Jesus, unless you feel you need to. we must pray that we see Jesus in the scriptures and through our lives. That's the primary way. So if you never have a picture of Christ in your house, ever in your life, that's okay. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this issue which the church has wrestled with. And we are looking into it not because we've run out of sermon topics, Lord, but because it's important for us to know your will. It's important for us to know how to view you, how to see you. So if we have art, may they be used properly. But ultimately, may we find you in the scriptures. Reveal yourself to us. May that be our primary focus and the primary place that we see you. And Lord, may we reveal you to our community, to our neighbors, to our family, through our lives being conformed to the image of Christ. This is the image we are concerned about. Lead us into fruitful discipleship, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.